Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. This is a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I am Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Ben. Adam. <laughs> I challenge you. I challenge you to a game of no limit Star Trek cards hold them. Oh, is this a challenge or maybe a battle? It is both. Draw your weapon. The game is five cards stud. The game is exceedingly simple. Or this is just the card there. Time to pluck a pendulum. How many packs do you have left, Ben? I have a scant four packs. You and me both, man. We're, we've I, come down to it. So, if I remember correctly, I am still waiting on one signature card. You are. And I think that these are going to be so card dense, these packs that I think we should just go for opening all eight of them. You want to go until completion. Yeah. That's what you want to do. You know, friend of the pod, Dan Savage, always says that it shouldn't be about that. You shouldn't put too much pressure on that part of your card bit. <laughs> because performance anxiety can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's I think the we should death just... of fun. Yeah, I think we should just go for it. Okay. Let's, you know what, let's just, like, savor these without the pressure of having to win. I mean, alternately, we could come up with very elaborate rules on who wins and, and why. <laughs> like, like there's four packs left. I think we've both got a lot of specials, but I've lost track of who has more. Is it the most specials per four packs, or is it the best specials? How do we decide? I think you and I should look at the four packs having opened them and then decide who has the best card of of all, of the four packs. Our show has really become about the conflict between us, hasn't it? <laughs> People love it when we fight. Eventually, our show is just going to be a broken pool cue in the middle of a room, <laughs> and you and I just fighting to the death. Yeah. In my first pack, I have Code of Honor, which is great for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I've got... Um, That's not going to win any contest, Ben. <laughs> I've got Birthright Part 1. I've got The Outrageous Okana. I've got Sub Rosa. I've got some solid cards here. If we don't get any specials, we'll have to decide what the best episode is. If, if I don't get any specials, we're returning my, my box because I'm supposed to get yeah. three signature cards. Yeah. Got one for the game. I love the game. Suck disc. Ugh. Got one for violations. Gross. Yeah. It's, as, it's as gross looking a card as that episode is gross. Oh, no. That, that card should just be black, like the Metallica <laughs> Black album. Oh, Jesus. I'm to my last pack, Ben. And I got a special card in the last pack. Awesome. This is a uh, this is a comic book frame featuring the character of Worf. It's an original comic book panel from volume 2, number 28. It is card 33 of 144. It's Worf, and he's angry, and he's pointing. And in the, in the, in the word bubble, he says, You don't understand if something's not done, and quickly... The ship will plummet into the pulsar. <laughs> oh, I got one for Angel One. Come on, Ben. You need a special card. I'm pulling I need for a you now. Special card. Now I'm on I'm your team. I'm down to my last pack here. Wait, am I? am I? What the fuck? Oh, here it is. <laughs> now wait a second. I think I'm at a card pack here, man. What? What the hell? Are you saying that without any more card packs, you did not receive a promised signature card? believe that that is what I'm saying, Adam. Yeah, I have opened four packs and found zero signature cards. Let me just count up my extant signature collection. Yeah, I was going to do the same thing. Oh, I have six. I have the correct amount. 
I have five signature cards. But you have that one with uh, Gates McFadden. Yeah, the Gates card. Does that count is the question. Yeah, it has to count because it's a it's an actual signature pen on paper. Man, I was really hoping for a natural Jaeger. You and me both, pal. I was convinced that I still had a signature card coming. I thought I had four special dense packs. I had no specials in the whole fucking bunch. I'm so sorry, Ben. <laughs> this has been a massive disappointment. This is, uh, you know, kind of, uh, kind of the way season seven has been feeling. Boy, you're way. not kidding. This culminating pack and, boof. Ben, I think it might be a good idea now that we're done with the card bit. <laughs> to uh, to summarize the signatures, who do you have? Who's your Who's your Hall of Fame? Well, of course I've got Juan Ortiz, but yeah, I think um, I got a couple of Juans. Yeah, I think that the two that I am most proud of are Spencer Garrett as Simon Tarsus, yeah, from the Drumhead, yeah. And Tracy Coco as Lieutenant J. Man, that Lieutenant J card is pretty rad. That's a big one. That's a big one. I've, uh, I've, I, for some episode I was editing recently, I watched a bunch of blooper reels from seasons of TNG. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that uh, Tracy Coco and Frakes had a, a fun relationship. <laughs> like, there's a lot of like him breaking and laughing, and then like chasing her off the set, off the set. <laughs> like knowing what we know about Frakes after having interviewed Lavar Burton, like it's so great to get confirmation of his of his joy. You know? Yeah. Like. He just personifies that in character and in person. That's pretty great. He sure does. Because it sucks to hear the people you like end up being assholes in real life. That's the whole, like, never meet your heroes thing. What if we had interviewed LeVar Burton and he'd, and he'd like, acted like, acted like a jerk? Like he acted like a total diva? <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is about that? That would have really surprised me. I'm yeah. glad he didn't. I'm glad he was so great. LeVar Burton, if you're going to meet your heroes, you want your hero to be LeVar Burton. Absolutely. That's that's what the aphorism should be. Let's uh let's rewrite history, Adam. <laughs> I think in first place for me, I got to put Gates just because that's a senior cast member. Yeah. Like that's pretty killer. And then of the remaining 5 God, it's hard to beat J.C. Brandy as uh, Marta Batanides, the 17-year-old love interest of Patrick Stewart. <laughs> so foxy. So fun. Yeah. Really yeah. dug her, but like, I feel like a close second has got to be the guy who played Tock, Sterling Macer Jr. Super fun. Yeah. I didn't mention it when we did the Phantasms episode. But uh, I do have an Ensign Tyler card. Oh, yeah. The woman who so loved Geordie LaForge, she gave her only career. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ensign Tyler. It's a weird thing about that episode is they never loop back around to to either the letdown or, or the humiliation that she obviously felt. <laughs> like, you got to close that loop. Whatever happened to Ensign Tyler? They do a lot of planting and very little paying off. Yeah, indeed. Well, I feel it's, pretty great about the card bit, Ben. It's like your boy uh, Seth Rogen says in The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Adam. You plant the seed, you grow the plant, and then you fuck the plant. <laughs> Man, that Judd Apatow is such a great screenwriter. <laughs> that is, that's David Mamet-like. <laughs> In that it's incredibly misogynistic. <laughs> incredibly misogynistic and uh, and sexualizing of a thing that isn't usually sexualized. <laughs> uh, well, RSVP the card bit, Adam. Yeah. I don't see it happening again as we turn the page towards Deep Space Nine. They don't make these cards for Deep Space Nine, do they? 
I don't know if they make these cards for Deep Space Nine. I have one other card bit that I was thinking we could do. Because uh, lis- listener Anne sent us those bummer boxes. Uh-huh. We opened those up on... There's a bunch of packs of uh, packs of cards in these bummer boxes. Oh, yeah. We could do bummer boxes There could be time. natural Jaegers in there. There could be. That's, prob- that's probably the series that the natural Jaegers are in, right? <laughs> Maybe. What I if Anne so. accidentally sent us a $1,000 pack? God, I can only hope. We cut her in on that, right? I think we'd have to. I'd feel obligated to do that. <laughs> Even as we are, as we speak, crushed under the enormous debt of Greatest Gen Con 2017. Right. We'll find a way to crawl out of that. Jaegers <laughs> in hand. Out yeah. of the smoking ruin of our credit. Good times. It'll be worth it, too. Agreed. Well, Ben, let's do what we came here to do. What do you say? Yeah, we have wasted a lot of time. <laughs> These Marin Opens get longer and longer with fewer and fewer things to say. <laughs> it's season 7, Episode 8, Attached. Starts with a pleasant brunch scene, Ben. And... As Beverly and Picard sit across from each other in Picard's condo, I noticed that they were in opposite chairs than where they usually sit. Oh, yeah. She usually sits at the window. And I feel like when I have a standing meal date with someone that that occurs over the long term, I'm always sitting in the same seat. They are observing brunch continuity. Does she sit on the other side when it's her apartment? Maybe that's it. Yeah, that's got to be it, right? Did she? Pre- she didn't. She prepared this breakfast, though, right? Yeah, but it's at Picard's condo. There's some kind of like glancing, unexamined sexism in this episode, where <laughs> it's implied that essentially Be- Beverly has been preparing Picard's meal every yeah. day, all th- this whole time. As much as I like someone, I could like someone the maximum amount. I'm going to want to take some days off from that person, whoever that is. I think a standing breakfast date every day. Ooh, it's a little much. No wonder nothing came of their will they, won't they. Why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free, Adam? I've heard that before. (laughs) I believe that line was actually spat at me from an (laughs) ex-girlfriend. Was she preparing you breakfast while she said it? Uh, no, this was a, this was not a contextual breakfast conversation we were having. <laughs> I'll let you decide what we were actually talking about. Beverly's complaining that Nurse Ogawa has been showing up late for work a lot, but Picard is lost in thought. John Luke, you don't have the slightest idea what I'm talking about, do you? No. Because he's thinking about Kesprit, this planet that they're headed to, and... It's a strange planet that has two nations on it, and the Kess want to join the Federation, and the Prit don't want anything to do with it. I've got to think the Prit have actually watched some of the Star Trek movies. That's why they're feeling a little ambivalent about joining the Federation. How do you, how do you think this happened with this planet? Were there always two different peoples, and that's why the planet is called that? Because it seems insane Like if we got to a point on our planet where... Everybody joined up with, like, either NATO or, I don't know, the Soviet bloc. Like, we wouldn't then start calling the fucking planet NATO USSR, right? It's a real weird conclusion to a conflict that typically concludes with war. Like, I could see interpersonal conflicts ending with a, don't ever talk to me again. But, like, (laughs) when full-on nations do that. Yeah. What a strange and interesting end to a conflict that you just don't see in contemporary society. They're giving each other the silent treatment. Yeah, they went to their separate corners. So I think this is weirding out Picard because it's a very, very unusual thing for the Federation to consider admitting a people that haven't resolved all the conflicts on their own planet. And they're only they're only there to talk to the Kess. Yeah, and that's what 
Beverly is sort of pressing him on. She's like, what's so weird about this? And Picard's like, well, what's weird about it is like, we can't fractionally accept a, a planet into the Federation. That's not how it works. It's not how any of this works. <laughs> <laughs> and so the idea is they're both going to beam down to the Kess part of yeah. the planet to figure out what's what, to do some diplomatic relations. I really like that little conversation, though, because it's some nice world building. Like, it, it makes you think about what what the Federation is made up of in a new way. Yeah. It feels like most missions should be like this, like doing the interview mm-hmm. of, a, of a race that wants to join the Federation. Now, Mr. Kess, where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> Mr. Kess, it looks like you have a good grasp of Word and Excel, but uh, <laughs> I'm not seeing a lot of PowerPoint here. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know... I think uh, I think I have a basic grasp of PowerPoint, and I just really see it as an opportunity for growth in my career uh, to get a lot better at it. So Picard and Beverly go to the transporter room, and they find Worf, who is off cake and cat duty, and has now like picked up an extra shift in the transporter room, I guess, to make some extra cash. What the hell is Worf doing there? I don't know. He's not doing a great job because he beams them down and then like is walking away from the transporter console when the guy from the planet radios up and is like, hey, where are they? Are you guys going to beam them down or what? Like the look on Worf's face is rolling timpani sound. Like, (laughs) (laughs) what? oh (laughs) Lieutenant Worf's having a bad day at work. That's uh, maybe maybe that's why they're interviewing the cast. They need to replace a key member of their staff. And do transporter people usually have a second in there, like sort of like a piano player with another person on the bench playing, playing the other part? Like, what is that <laughs> other guy soul. doing? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bizarre. So the cast people send word up to Worf. They're like, hey. Thought you were going to beam some guys down here. What gives? Worf's like, I thought you had him. And they're like, we thought you had him. <laughs> Kevin! And then we go to theme song. When we come back, Picard and Beverly wake up in a dingy co-ed jail cell. And there's a little bit of hay on the floor, like they're hamsters. Like where'd that yeah, hay it's come like from? Certain type of dive bar where they have like peanuts as the bar <laughs> snack and everybody drops the shells on the floor. We were just complaining vociferously about the lack of budget allotted to sets. Like W slash R slash T, the Arboretum. Yeah. And this is the first of a few set pieces that are like, Whoa, where'd this yeah. budget come from? Game stepped up. I don't understand why don't why they don't smooth the budget throughout an entire season versus having these spikes, like these these save and sent and spend spikes throughout a season. Because the my quality hunch, really gets killed throughout. My hunch is that this is uh that because this is a Frakes episode, mm. he's he's pulling a little bit more when he talks to the to the producers about you know what they're going to spend on jail cell set <laughs> you think frakes is on uh, on the episode before he's on dark page and he's he's like on a second take he's like no i think we got it let's move on <laughs> like he's hastening the pace of production to save budget on a different episode oh we saved five thousand dollars today hey not bad yeah let's roll that over hey dorn easy on those <laughs> sandwiches man <laughs> <laughs> I think we should get a much cheaper cake. That's just my personal take on the, on the matter. Look, everyone likes Gatorade. Let's just get one of those giant containers. That's that's all we need. One of them. <laughs> that's fun. He's just sabotaging the this season <laughs> in his favor. Let's just pick up a let's pick Majel up like a pretty basic trench coat down at a down at H and M. We don't need to have the costume department make a whole thing, right? Look, these star wagons are expensive. <laughs> Do they make a kind with bunk beds? 
it's explained to them. They, they discover that they've got like um, coaxial cables in the back of their necks. Got some mechanical nubbins. Yeah, some mechanical nubbins, and they connect directly to the brainstem. They do that wiggle, like, like Beverly grabs Picard's nubbin and like gives a little wiggle. That that was a creepy scene. If it's connected to the brainstem, I don't want anybody <laughs> wiggling that thing. I know. <laughs> and if I'm Beverly, I'm going pony. Like, oh yeah, not le- not leaving the hair down to like brush against the nubbin. No way. You got to go straight pony if you're Beverly Crusher here. Do you think that they ever considered doing like a mash 'em up episode? The Nubbin versus Mecha Nubbin. <laughs> wondering, like, in the way that scalp acne can be so itchy, like, oh, I, I don't know if I could keep my hands off this Nubbin. Yeah, you'd like, you'd like tongue it like a tooth with an abscess. Ugh. Ugh. They did a great job installing these Nubbins. Like these, uh, like whoever's holding them prisoner, like, there's no swollenness on the neck there's no reddening of the skin like they took to these nubbins no problem they probably gave them like three ibuprofens instead of two that's (laughs) my guess really cuts down on the swelling it's explained to them by a bunch of kind of like cat suited security people who come around that these are some kind of implant that's going to let them scan their brains. The devices which have been implanted in your cerebral cortexes will soon be calibrated to your psi wave pattern. At that time, we will be able to get all the information we need. And these are the Prit. They, like the, the leader is named Lauren. She's security minister for the Prit. And she suspects that the Federation is getting in bed with the Kess and forming a military alliance. And so they've kidnapped Picard and Crusher on on this suspicion and are basically accusing them you know like it's it's a crime here for for that to happen so you guys are in big trouble picard's like you don't understand that's exactly the opposite of what we're doing what is your problem and uh and the predator like look these nubbins are going to tell us the truth in time cool your jets we'll come back to interview you later Picard does that kind of that super weak sauce thing of like, well, then you'll find out that the truth is that we're telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, like the door shuts and he's like, then you will know the the truth that we're <laughs> trying to tell you. Then, <laughs> not now, <laughs> boy. Is there going to be egg on uh, on your faces? Yeah, on the entrepreneur, they are trying to puzzle through what went wrong. They have, you know, they've like done some diagnostics on the on the transporter. There's nothing wrong with it, but they find some evidence that there was a tractor beam interfering with the with the beam, and so they bring on this guy, Ambassador Marek from Kess, who is gonna is gonna like work with them on finding Troy and Crusher, and he gives some weird vibes right off the bat. Yeah, he's got those shifty, paranoid vibes. Like, Riker, to his credit, is, like, super friendly and diplomatic. He's like, look, even though Riker is someone who has lost two significant people on his crew, he's still pretty cool-headed about things. We have not even attempted a diplomatic effort yet. I would rather not use force until we have exhausted all other options. He's like, Morik, we got to get to the bottom of this thing. We think you can help. And Morik is like, I think... We'd do better if I stayed up here and set up a command center in one of your condos. Why don't you set me up right, and we'll get this investigation going. He's right, because little... Morik doesn't trust... Like, he, he thinks that there's leaks in his own in his own government mm-hmm. that the Prit are exploiting, which is how they even knew about this transporter situation. He's, got, he's this weird blend of, like, officiousness and brimming with the self-confidence of a true nationalist but he's also ultra paranoid and and it makes him kind of a dick is there a problem ambassador probably not simply securing the area yeah it's it's the flavor of confidence you only find in people who are very wrong you know (laughs) like people who are typically right are a little bit more modest in their confidence than this guy is. 
and willing to be proven wrong. Like right. he's he's he is very defensive of his rightness. Yeah. So they set him up with a condo, and it's definitely like a sh- one of the shittier ones. Yeah. And uh, he's got a little buddy there with him who scans around looking for listening devices and stuff. And when they're satisfied that it's a, a safe space, he uh, says he's, he'd be glad to assist and that uh, he's going he's gonna to run the search from here. And Worf is like, are you sure you don't want any help? And they're like, no, we've heard about you. Oh, you mean help from the guy who who lost two people, beaming them down, <laughs> taking an extra shift in the transporter room? No, thanks. <laughs> My love is a Back on the planet, Beverly and Picard are in the jail cell just hanging out when the door opens and a guy is delivering room service food like on a tray with with that you know the dome lid on it that you see the prit have a lot of advanced technologies one thing they don't have is that little slot that slides open to pass the the food through (laughs) this guy opens this like 10 foot wide door and stands there super scared with (laughs) With his fucking dust buster <laughs> while he sets the, the tray on the on the ground. Seinfeld's watching this episode. He's like, have you heard of the slot? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have the slot, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> and like Picard does such a crazy move here. Picard runs at the door as it's closing as if to escape or, or brace it open or whatever. But if that was his true intention... The moment to run at the door is when food guy is setting down the food. Right. I don't understand his plan here. Very dramatic. It might have been... This might be an example of a rare mistake on Frakes' part. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that that, uh, is probably there to make it look like they are thinking actively about an escape plan. But what it reads as is just like... The fuck is Picard's problem? <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a great point because without him running at the door, what you have is shot of them, shot of Trey guy, like shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot of of basically no action except a tray being put on the floor. So, Right. I could see the only the other way to do this scene would be if he was like trying to trying to pry the bars apart when the guy came in or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which would be just as dumb, if not dumber. <laughs> yeah. What if they were doing, like, prison workouts? They were doing, like, burpees or, like, you know, doing chin-ups on their bunk bed. Picard's got his hands behind his head, and Beverly's, like, slapping his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> like, doing really harsh core exercises. <laughs> oh, again! <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> so Beverly Ooh! Beverly grabs the tray and reveals a delicious, delicious tricorder. Most realistic cake we've seen on this show. Yeah. <laughs> Picard's like, I'm not gonna eat this shit. <laughs> I heard I've heard about shit on a shingle, but this is ridiculous. So it's immediately clear to them that they've got friendlies on the inside. Because this tricorder is like loaded up with map software and a code to the door. Yeah, they've they've got the they've got the app that turns it into the button that opens the garage door. Yeah, and they're they are like out in the hallway escaping in fairly short order. I didn't expect that to happen. That was easy. <laughs> Super easy. <laughs> they're in like creepy caves. They've got to run through an area where there are random bursts of fire. What is this? They're starting to hear each other, though, as they're escaping. That, like, Picard will be like, what did you say? And Beverly's like, I didn't say anything. And that happens a couple of times. Yeah. Beverly's like, yes, I do have a really nice ass. And Picard's (laughs) like, what? I didn't say that out loud. Did I? Picard's like, I didn't think I was rocking Nuck. (laughs) Picard leaves his action jacket in the caves, though. Yeah, he treats that thing as it's as being very cheap. Yeah, I didn't like to see that. Leave no action jacket behind. 
That leather could be really handy if you need to, like, rappel down a wall, right? Or need a camp pillow? Yeah. How does he, th- how does he know they're not going to be camping? Yeah. I think he just wanted to avoid that preppy look of tying it around his neck. Maybe going prep is cool. Hey, Buffy. <laughs> now that is not cool. That's not a very good look if you're the captain. Not if you're a Frenchman. Yeah, so like one of the uh, rises in tension to commercial is the, boy, there haven't been any of these flame geysers in a while, and Beverly's tricorder just gets pinned in the red, and she's like, oh, shit, we got to get out of here. <laughs> And then they do, like, that run toward the camera as a giant flamethrower gets shot at them. The gas is building up. They must have had to remaster the shit out of that effect, right? Yeah, even after remastering. Not great. I'm tempted to watch some of these later episodes on SD to see what, what the changes were. Yeah. Yeah, especially this episode, which you could call good. Yeah. After commercial, they emerge from a cave butthole. And I was totally blown away, Ben. A great big outside location. It's beautiful. Yeah. I was thinking this might be the Batcave from TV Batman of the 60s. Really? I don't have any research to corroborate that but it looks a lot like that bat cave hmm i'm gonna do some quick research now see ben a butthole bat cave is giving me some (laughs) some things here that i'm not sure i want to share (laughs) it's at bronson canyon i think that's the bat cave man named after the great actor charles bronson who died there Wow. That is not true. RSVP Charles Bronson. (laughs) This is the last episode of the series to feature the action jacket. So he discards it in the cave and that's it. RSVP action jacket. Damn. That's pretty cold shit. I try to be possessive of objects, but I'm so vastly wealthy. (laughs) That it's very hard to be sentimental about a jacket. When you've lost the way I've lost, (laughs) you could call it a defense mechanism. I prefer not to wear jackets because they cover up my nipples. (laughs) My chest plating with realistic nipples and six pack. The Batcave is kind of a grave for discarded outfits. Every new adventure means a new suit. New nipples, new abs. It's always out with the old, in with the new. I treat it with the same ethic as the Marie Kondo book taught me. If it doesn't bring you joy, <laughs> give it away. One thing that gives me great satisfaction <laughs> is the feeling of donating my old bat suits to charity. <laughs> the thought of a child putting on my bat suit fills me with great joy. <laughs> Plus, I get a pretty sweet tax write-off for my donation. A lot of the charity that those of us in the 1% partake in is not a genuine act of generosity so much as an elaborate tax dodge. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. You are all. On The Entrepreneur, they've been working really hard to try and get in touch with the Prit because... Best they can tell, the doctor and Picard went down on the Prit side of the line. And they are they tap into the Prit communications network and they get a guy on the phone who is really freaked out to be talking to them. He's like the personal secretary to the prime minister of Prit. And it's clear that they've put him in a really tough position. Like he's essentially committing a crime by picking up the phone. He's like... He's like when you're a kid before you've been given permission to answer the phone when your parents aren't home. Like, yeah. He's got that sort of paranoia. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure I'm supposed to be having this conversation. Yeah. I, do you ever get this? Like, I, this, this feeling of like, I, we have accidentally put this person in a terrible position 
feeling um oh i often feel like that person myself (laughs) i uh i asked like subway directions from a couple of women uh who were hasidic jews Mm -hmm. one time and they like wouldn't respond to me and like blushed and and like walked away oh and then i realized like maybe maybe in their particular stripe of judaism like it's totally uncool for them to talk to a an unknown man and uh was this during one of your shifts as the naked cowboy though because I, <laughs> I could see them being fairly uncomfortable about that i was rocking a good bit of neck at the time <laughs> but uh you know like and then i was like god like i hope i didn't like put you know i hope they don't have to like go ritualistically cleanse themselves now or something or like confess that this happened to somebody you know <laughs> I don't uh, want to be. I don't want to be a bother to these people. Yeah, I mean, ideally, you want to be the one giving the lashings, not doing something that causes someone to get them later. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, they get they get a uh, FaceTime in fairly short order from the same lady that talked to Picard and Beverly in jail, Minister Lauren, and she is rip shit. You will immediately cease all attempts at communication with our people. That they've been communicating with anybody in Prit. And, you know, she's continuing the line of you guys are a bunch of assholes and are trying to align yourself with the Kess and we're not into it. At the same time, Morik is feeling the same way. Morik's, from Morik's perspective, Riker has aligned themselves with the Prit. So, like, they're both feeling exactly the same. Yeah. About the Federation's involvement here. Yeah, speaking of bat caves, Morik has like really set himself up in this in this quarters that they've provided him, and it's just nothing but sixties bat cave equipment. It's like this guy bought up a bunch of like seventh grade chemistry gear <laughs> from a from a school that closed. Like it's it's nothing but those those balls you put your hands on that, that give you the static electricity hair. He definitely has, like, two or three of those. Yeah. He just really likes the movie Weird Science. He's really suspicious of them because he's saying, like, we we, we got them out, we gave them a special tricorder with a, a map and a code, and they're supposed to be showing up in this village in Prit country that is controlled by Kess sympathists. <laughs> and they didn't show up and so now the only thing we can cl- conclude is that this has been an elaborate plot for you to expose our double agents on on prit territory and you've been working with the prit the entire time and riker at this point is full-blown like oh jesus christ are you serious like like he's <laughs> he's he's let down his diplomatic niceties and he's like you are a crazy person <laughs> pack up all your shit and get the fuck out I'm through with your games. Like, this is over. Right, because, I mean, Morik, Morik is an ambassador. That's his title. Yeah. He has no ambassadorial qualities. He is not an avuncular guy who is willing to find compromise on things. He's a fucking prick. He's just yeah. as big a prick as the security minister from the Prit. Yeah, he's not doing a good job. They're really prick for prick, aren't they? <laughs> Back on the planet, we get one of the coolest shots that I can remember. They go telephoto on Beverly and Picard on like a ridge line. Yeah. And you can see the background mountains in in compressed focus. Like, I don't remember them ever using this kind of lens on an episode before. And you only see it for like five seconds. It was awesome. It's so much more outdoor fun than we usually get. Yeah. And this is when they're really starting to hear the the chatter from each other's inner thoughts. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the rest of the fun and games with Beverly and Picard in this episode is them kind of finding the barriers between them breaking down. And there's this great, there's another great shot that I wanted to talk about. It's at uh, 24 minutes and seven seconds. And it's kind of like the last vestige of differentness before they're fully in telepathic sympathy with each other. And Frakes frames this up with a thin little stick of a tree 
in between them. It's like in soft focus in the foreground, they're talking in the background and this, this stick is dividing them, but it's so thin. Like it feels like, it feels like the barriers between them are about to go away, you know? Whoa, that's great. Good spot. And like, this is stuff that when you do a location scout that you like, this is primarily what you're there to do is, is set up what these compositions are going to look like when you're actually there with cameras and crew. And like, I can just imagine Frakes and crew down here looking for places to shoot and seeing that as an option to help tell the story visually. Yeah. And it's great. It's the, it's the moment where he announces that they're going to go in one kind of arbitrary direction. And she goes, you don't have any idea what you're talking about, do you? And he admits like that sometimes captaining is about giving everybody the confidence that we know what we're doing, even if you don't. Yeah. This is also the scene where they discover just how connected they are, because when they attempt to not walk side by side and put a little distance between each other, they are overcome with nausea. And so they've discovered that their neck nubbin is a form of vomit handcuffs. <laughs> Which is a really fun realization for them. Like, you know, they 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 begin to feel like their mental connection is a little uncomfortable. So they're like, well, maybe a little distance would help. And it turns out they can't do it. Yeah, these things are Bluetooth, not Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's a fun consequence. So, I mean, some people really don't like throwing up, and they'll do anything to avoid it. Yeah, my wife is one of those. Yeah? I don't understand it. I love throwing up. It feels so great. I would do it all the time <laughs> if I could. I'm a loud barfer, though, Ben. I think that's part of the problem for me. Like, if I'm sick, everyone in the house is going to know it. <laughs> Picard and Beverly continue their flight and they actually like make a campfire at night and they make a, they, they, they really connect here. This is them talking about, you know, the fact that Picard had a huge crush on her. I didn't know you felt that way. Pardon the pun when she was married to Jack. I, I guess I always knew that there was an attraction between us right from the start, but I never knew how strongly you felt. And how he felt guilty about that and how he didn't want her as chief medical officer on the entrepreneur because he felt guilty and like ashamed, like he like Jack's death being his fault could be rounded up to Picard got Jack dead so that he could have Beverly to himself. I felt guilty like I did that with my mind. This scene I think is the best that this show can do like this is this represents the best character development that this show is able like it's i thought it was amazing this yeah. campfire scene and it's because they paint their relationship with a couple of different brushes it's not just i used to love you back in the day that's simple what is interesting and complex is Jack Crusher being Picard's best friend and the circumstances of his death, meaning that Picard could never love Beverly in a way that he could feel good about. And the depth of feeling and sadness and guilt, like those are difficult emotions to portray on TV and in film. Like jealousy is easy. Like, love lost is easy, but, like, the complexity of all those things as portrayed by these characters, I thought, was incredible. And Gates is awesome here, too. Gates has fewer words than Patrick Stewart, but her reactions are beautiful and emotional and heartbreaking. She had no idea of his feelings, and her realization isn't joy and gratitude it's almost sad you know to know that her one of her best buds has felt this way for a long time and hasn't acted on it because of a profound guilt like she feels bad for him and i think she feels bad for them because 
She feels it too. And look at all the time they've wasted. The conversation they have about the complicated breakfasts that she's been making for him being not what either of them really wants is mm. like such a great little that metaphor m- miniature metaphor for yeah. their their relationship um kind of a shame that it's couched in the idea that she's been cooking him breakfast for 7 years but <laughs> uh but yeah it's so evocative that they both all they really want is croissant and coffee and instead they've been sort of doing what they thought the other wanted and going along with it because they thought it was better to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, this happens all the time in relationships for better or worse or neutral, neutral in the way that Beverly and Picard have done it. Like you get in a pattern of acting a certain way and then you just accept that those are, that's just the way things are. And before you yeah. know it, like seven years has gone by and you've missed a chance to experience something new or better or, or more fulfilling for both people. And it was just really good to really cement in the canon of this show that Jack Crusher wasn't a fucking cuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to satisfy the suspicion that we've had from the beginning about them without fully... Like, without showing it going in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wondered. Did you think that they? I didn't really think that they banged in this episode. I I, I feel like they with those transceivers. That would be a pretty remarkable experience for science, right? I think it's like that rule about ecstasy. Like you're you're cautioned not to fuck on ecstasy because <laughs> the feeling is so great that like all other fucking is like is diminished. By yeah. comparison, I think they, they're they observing strict ecstasy rules here with regards to the nubbin. Mm. And uh, boy, I bet Picard wishes he had action jacket as a pillow at this point because lying on your back with a nubbin on your neck cannot feel good. Mecca or otherwise. Yeah. Back on The Entrepreneur, Riker, in his frustration, has decided to beam Minister Lauren to the conference room and sort of entrap her and Marek in a sort of diplomatic booth. Like, we're not leaving this room until we iron out our differences. <laughs> yeah. Let's have it. And they, they're they so entrenched in their side, they don't even want to sit down at the table. And Riker's like, yeah. fuck it, we'll stand. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes clear to them through their... It, it becomes clear to them through their bickering that they are like not resolving anything here today. They like neither one believes the other. And so Riker's like, well, let me take one big variable out of this conversation. The Federation is not going to be admitting the Kes or the Prit. You guys are both big time assholes and <laughs> you're basically squabbling children and that's not how we roll. Like we're we're letting we're letting the big kids into the club, not the fucking little kids. Yeah. And y'all are the little kids. Totally. And Ambassador Morek is like is like completely panicked now because it, like that was the thing he came here to do is secure an alliance with the Federation and he's fucking blown it. The Kess will be denied membership. You have no authority to make that decision. I think that the fact that he's blown it is sufficiently satisfying for Lauren that she agrees to like help them get Picard and Beverly back. Well, I guess also Riker does threaten her with lots of. Lots more starships coming around to see what's up with Captain Picard and Crusher if they stay in prison, right? Yeah, like the the most threatening thing you can do to a xenophobe is threaten to put them over under a microscope. And that's what Riker said here. He's like, I'm going to bring 20 starships and we're going to beam down to your planet and we are going to crawl through every rock that you have until we find our people. This is sufficiently threatening to Lauren that... She decides to play ball. It'd be like dropping Donald Trump onto a gay cruise and letting it set sail. Like, that's the amount of uncomfortable the Prit would feel if a bunch of Federation starships showed up. It would be like anyone coming over to where I live without (laughs) calling or texting first. (laughs) That's the sort of feeling that Lauren and her people have. 
be like dropping my wife onto a Star Trek cruise. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. <laughs> The button on the episode is kind of like a romantic date between Picard and Beverly. Yeah, Picard's in full open V. Beverly is in wig number six. Like, I don't think we've ever seen this hairpiece before. She's in the apex wig. She looks great. So does he. They are. They really they, clean up good. They have a vibe about them. They are not sitting on opposite ends of a long dining room table. They are like sitting kitty corner to each other, enjoying each other's company, having a little yeah. post-dinner brandy. It's nice. They, they're almost close enough that he could go for one of those like, oh, I'm just going to stretch my arms. Oh, look at that. One of them's on your shoulder now. <laughs> yeah. Picard's like, uh, would you like to move over to the couch with me? How uh, how into it would you be, W slash R slash T, some bosom fondling? <laughs> yeah. Picard actually, like, he does the thing. He makes the move. Like, he says what's on his mind. He's like, you know, it was really fun having our minds conjoined for the time that we had it, and I've I've come to actually miss that. And what's more is it really made me think about us and the idea of maybe giving this a try. What do you think about that? Like... Which is, in Picard's way, maybe the most laid bare that he's been for her or anyone else. Like, he's a guy who cannot speak from his heart. He says that uh, they shouldn't be afraid of this thing now. Mm -hmm. She says, perhaps we should be afraid. And I wondered uh, how you interpreted that. Like, is it because of the kind of excitement and frisson of the early days of a new relationship like that kind of boy like what if i ask her on a third date is she gonna say yes to that like this is going great so far like the stakes are getting higher and it's gonna hurt more if it falls apart but also feel better if it works well i think the answer is in her leaving after saying that you know like if she was truly excitedly fearful about the potential, I think she would have stayed and banged it out, probably. But, <laughs> but uh, I don't think she's that kind of girl, Adam. This is like date two hundred for them. They've had <laughs> they've had five years of breakfast together. Like, when do you start? When do you reset the date odometer for them? That's a good. That's a good question. That's sort of that's a question that my relationship has struggled with. Is yeah. My wife and I definitely went out on a lot of, hey, we're just two young people with crushes on each other hanging out at a bar at 1 a.m. <laughs> we're just roommates. This is a business <laughs> yeah. relationship. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And unfortunately, when she leaves, to me, my interpretation is that she has allowed the fear to stop them from pursuing this further and... That is that. I mean, it's not only her leaving, it's the single brass instrument of heartbreak that we get in this scene, too, that that <laughs> underscores the whole thing. A, a brass instrument that we're familiar with accompanying moments that are profoundly sad. What do you think, Ben? I don't interpret it as that cut and dry. I think it's not an it's not an out and out rejection in my in my mind. It's just it's ambiguous anew. They have reset the sexual tension in their relationship but it's it's never going away yeah yeah did you like this episode ben i love this episode yeah me too really great really great it makes me wonder like god i was really low the last few episodes i was down on the show i was down that on the idea that it was ending and you're really bumming me out adam and ending this way but this was a well-timed great episode that i really needed and <laughs> it made me think like you know this creative staff was bumming about having hit bottom with jordy's mom and this story was them was there for them to tell the whole time like there's so much here yeah pay it off that's how i feel i'm with you on that buddy 
Are you with me on checking P1s? I am with you on that as well, my friend. All right, let's hit it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Well, Adam, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It comes from Penny K. As for pork chop. Goes like this. The time has come for the boy and I to wish you a happy Father's Day. Although at times you may wish to replace me with an Uxbridge real doll, <laughs> and our own little rascal can occasionally be more lore than data, <laughs> we love you with all our hearts. Having you is like getting a natural Jaeger. Happy Father's Day. Love, Panny. God. You know, like, was that spelled Raz? Like Rascal? Or was it Rascal? Rascal, with an S. Okay, good. Because I was, <laughs> I was just going to, <laughs> I was just going to make a very strong argument against the idea of Raz and Plavim weaving themselves into the tapestry of every fucking P one we get. <laughs> uh, no, uh, th- that was like a bit of a belated Father's Day, but a yeah. lovely one, and it had nothing to do with those those two people. That was great. What a sweet message. Yeah. I like the idea of a child having uh, having qualities of both lore and data. Yeah. I also like the idea of growing up with a father that you think of as pork chop. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> That's such a great trucker handle. <laughs> ben, our second breaker, message... Breaker is from Andrew. It is for Megan. Message goes like this. No clue when this message will play, but I'm probably still at the South Pole. If that's the case, I'm looking Uh. forward to making you grilled cheese in a few months. Please do me a favor and remind Robert Jason Harris his personal hygiene leaves much to be desired. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) If I'm home now, do you want to go get a beer? Hey. Megan, sounds like Megan's got a date one way or another. Sounds like Andrew, while at the South Pole, does not have the ability to make grilled cheese. That's when you know you're really out there. Well, he doesn't have the uh, ability to make grilled cheese for Megan. Right. I'm assuming he's making grilled cheese for himself. Please do me a favor and remind Robert Jason Harris about his personal hygiene. What do you think that's about? I don't know, man. Sometimes I'm I'm worried we're ruining people's lives accidentally. <laughs> oh, it's too late for that. I just Googled Robert Jason Harris. Oh, no. This is a real person. Maybe... Well, what are the chances there aren't somebody named Robert Jason Harris? Yeah. Yeah. That's fairly common for a three-named person. Well... Any, any resemblance to a real Robert Jason Harris is purely coincidental and in no way intended. That's a fictional person in the, in the world of this show. Well, uh, I sincerely... There's a Robert Jason Harris that follows me on Twitter, though, so... Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. But it's, I swear, it's not that guy. Well, I'm sure everyone involved in this message is just great. And uh, I sincerely hope that Andrew, Megan, and even Robert Jason Harris are enjoying grilled cheese sandwiches and beers as we speak. Fingers crossed. If you're interested in sending the Robert Jason Harris's in your life a message about their hygiene, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Fill out a quick form. We'll read it on the pod. Personal messages are $100. Commercial messages are $200. It is a great way to support the ongoing and forever production of our show. Thanks, guys. Darmok, Angelad, and Tanaga. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and... They send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, 
we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben? What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. I'm giving mine to Ambassador Morik. Just because, I mean, if we're if we're talking about the character having the most fun, like, as an actor, getting to play this weird middle point between self-assuredness and officiousness and paranoia and, you know, desperation to be approved of by these people, but also feeling like you're the big boss and so they should all defer to you at the same time. It's that's such a juicy little role to play. And I think this guy really had a lot of fun with it. Actor <laughs> Robert Robin Gamble. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. How about yourself? Did you have a drunk Shimoda? When Beverly and Picard are being chased toward the fence by the Prit security people. Yeah. There's a moment where they get to the fence. Beverly hits a couple beeps and boops into the tricorder. It opens a little portal and then she kind of shoves Picard into it. <laughs> I don't think Beverly thought this plan through because doesn't that basically guarantee the next few hours of their lives are going to be like totally nauseous <laughs> and like the waves of vomiting are going to occur like seconds after. Man, and for that reason, point. I'm giving my Shimoda to Beverly. Like that was not a plan she thought through at all. And I thought they should have showed that, too. As soon as the portal closes, like, they just <laughs> should have let go right there. <laughs> just cans and cans of uh, yeah. <laughs> cream of mushroom soup coming out. They beam them both up to the ship, and they're just, like, 
shooting it all over the transporter room. <laughs> yeah, Beverly. Uh, I guess she made peace with that. <laughs> Feels like it's been a long time since Beverly's gotten a Shimoda. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is Season 7, Episode 9, Force of Nature. An alien brother and sister resort to desperate measures to prove their theory that warp drive is destroying the universe. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Uh, I don't remember this episode, Ben. New one on you. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to feel like a new view. I don't feel like this show does an especially good job with uh, environmentally tangential storylines. <laughs> and I and by this show, I mean the show in any of its incarnations, like original series Star Trek, the movies, like they do a lot of this form of proselytizing. And it's not as if I don't agree with their position. It is just that often it feels a little heavy handed and not well articulated. Hmm. So I wonder if they pull it off here. Maybe they do. Maybe. Well, if you've got opinions on how we're able to pull off this show, you can take it on over to Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. Tell us how we did. I'm over there. It's at Cut for Time. Ben is there. It's at Benjamin R. A-H-R. Other places to discuss the show include Reddit, Facebook, and Instagram. Yeah, we're definitely not on Instagram, Adam. Uh, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusia for lots of other music you hear in the program. And uh, thanks to the great folks at MaximumFun.org who help in innumerable ways to get this show to you guys and uh, especially help get our sweet, sweet merch up in the Max Fun Store at MaxFunStore.com. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that is entirely battery-powered. When I was a boy and I hated certain obligations I had, such as school or summer camp, uh-huh. I developed a technique of inducing upchuck without sticking a finger down my throat. Whoa. Where I could, it took me like five or 10 minutes of work to get to it, but I could like get myself sick enough to throw up if I really wanted to like not be doing something. Whoa. I wonder if I could, I want, like, I haven't tried that in probably 23 years or something, <laughs> but I wonder if I could still do it. Do you know what would make great pod, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> that, exactly. <laughs> By the time we get to P1s, you're just full-on vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> the Howard Sternification of our podcast continues. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.